had a time in your life where you thought God wasn't fair to you? I, you don't have to really think long about it if it's ever happened to you. If you've ever felt that way, it'll just pop right into your mind. It might have been a time where you really wanted something badly. And you did everything that you could in your power to do that. But there was one thing outside of your control and you knew it. And you were just counting on God coming through. And it didn't happen. And you walked away feeling like God had been unfair to you. Or maybe for you, you'd been serving God. Uh, you'd been giving. You'd been doing the stuff that you think matters in life. It's cost you blood, sweat, and tears, and you look around, and there are people who don't seem to care about God at all, and they're doing better than you are, and you wonder, God, are you being fair to me? Or maybe you've experienced something with your health or financial situation you've been struggling with, and what it looks like is that other people have seen the hand of God touch that situation and they're, they're doing okay, but that hasn't happened for you. And you feel like, man, this just doesn't seem fair. What do you do with that? What I've witnessed is a lot of people, they think these thoughts, but they never say them out loud. They just carry them with them. And in the silence of their heart, that thing turns to anger, that thing turns to bitterness, and it causes real problems. Well, what if there's another way? Uh, we're in the book of Genesis. Uh, we've been there for a little while, and we've got uh, through the month of February, we're going to stay there. And we started this Hidden Treasure series. Uh, our plan was to do a whole bunch of chiasms, and then we realized we were going way too fast, so we've slowed down. And uh, what we're doing is we're trying to come at the text the way an ancient person would. They would read the text and try to identify a problem, something that made them uncomfortable. And then they would lean into it and they would try to explore that because they believed that they discovered something that was learning. I think it's worth noting. If, you, if you're paying attention at all, I know a lot of you are reading along. In the first four chapters of Genesis, several times the perceived problem is something that has to do with God's honesty, his integrity, or his character. Like the question that a casual reader would have had would have been, what is wrong with God here? Now remember, I think God looked at Moses and said, I want you to write this down. I want you to say this exactly this way. So why would God allow for a casual writing to put him in that kind of light, well, you got to remember, he's trying to help a group of people who don't know him relate to him. And part of relating to him is understanding what his character is, understanding who he is. And so those questions are natural. They happen in us. So God raises them, allowing people to step into that and to find something more than what they had thought. Like, for example... I, a lot of people had this question in the first few weeks as we were going through Genesis chapter 2. Why would God put a tree in the garden and look at people and say, don't eat from it? When we all know that as soon as you do that, that's the first thing we want to do. Right? And the question is, is that fair? 
Was that right for God to do that? And we've looked at that, and we understood that without that tree, mankind wouldn't have gotten the chance to exercise self-control, which is what makes us part of being in God's image. And without that, we're just animals. And so that tree that seemed to be unfair was critical, important for our lives. In fact, here's, here's what I think. We're going to spend the whole time looking at a section of scripture that a lot of people have read and thought, God's really being unfair here. And here's what I think about your situation. If you've ever felt that way, maybe you're feeling that way right now, that God has been fair to you. I think what you have is an opportunity. An opportunity to lean into that, to dig into that, and to find something out about God that you couldn't have found any other way. And we're going to do that today. We're going to use um, an example with Cain's life um, to figure out how do we do this when it seems like God's unfair. By the way, my name is Blair. I guess I should have said that. I'm one of the pastors here. I do some of the teaching. And we're looking at a section of scripture in Genesis chapter 4. We talked about a couple weeks ago the origin of Cain. His mom had a way of viewing the world and she named him after it. He acquires is his name. So he's got this loaded, and then we're going to be rolling into a section of Scripture where there's going to be a problem between God and Cain. A lot of people think it's a problem between Cain and his brother. It is not. It's a problem between God and Cain, and it's going to disrupt a lot of things. And so I want to take you to that, and I want you to start um, thinking, uh, by the way, I'm going to advance initially an idea, a belief about this text that I don't believe. But a lot of people have read it in a casual way and have concluded that God is being unfair. So I'm going to lay that out for you. But we're not going to read this casually. We're going to go a little bit further. And I think the text is going to help us understand there's a whole lot more going on than what meets the eye. And if we would stop and dig in, there's going to be something really great for us here. So that's what I'm hoping to do, okay? Genesis chapter 4, verse 2, our story continues. Cain's been born, he's been given a name, all of that's happening, and then this gets said. Later she, this is Eve, gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. Now if Cain is an acquirer, for him to fulfill his life mission, what is he going to have to acquire? Land. Like if he's going to grow things out of the soil, he's going to have to have some land. Which, which makes this kind of interesting because his brother needs land too. Just for a different purpose. I, I'm, I've read a lot of scholars who read this verse and they say, ultimately what we have here is a conflict between um, a herder and a farmer. This has been going on for thousands of years. They have different desires and needs for the land. If you're growing things, you don't want a herd going through your property and eating everything, grazing as it goes by. But that's what the herder needs. And all we're seeing here, they say, is just a simple conflict over water, land, and how it's used. And that's why there's some violence that erupts in the end. I, I don't uh, believe that. Because I think we're introduced to part of the tension next. It gets written here, um, starting in verse uh, 3. 
In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits from the soil as an offering to the Lord. And then in verse 4, And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. Ooh, and here in verse 5, But on Cain and his, his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. We think we just found the tension. What does it look like just happened here? It looked like two brothers decided to bring gifts to God. God looked at the two, said, I like his better than yours. I'm picking. And chooses a favorite. A lot of people have read this and said, oh, that's what's happening here. Which means God just did something most of us would never do. Now it gets worse. If you were going to go back and look in the text, for the time God said, I want you to produce an offering, I want you, I'm going to give you a command to offer me something, where will you find it in Genesis 1 through 3? You won't find it once. What's more, this will help you as you read the Hebrew. When you find a new idea in the Hebrew scriptures, the person who's listed first is the one the writer wants to you know is credited with having the idea first. It's, it's just the way, it's their way of communicating to you. So without God ever commanding, asking for some sort of gift or offering, Cain comes up with the idea to give an offering, and he does. Frankly, he's a spiritual genius. He is, right? God's not asked for anything from him at this point. But Cain was wise enough to know that the things that he was growing out of his land, he could not produce on his own. He didn't have any control over the sun. He didn't have any control over the rain. But God did those things, and he would see production come from that. And he wanted to honor the fact that he was in partnership with God. And so to do that, he decided he would honor with an offering, a gift. And he does. And his brother follows his example, and God says... I reject yours, but I accept your brother's. Difficult, right? For some reason, Cain's gift is not good enough. Now let's try to put this in a context that maybe you would understand. It's not your birthday. It's not your anniversary. It's nothing. It's Thursday. And a friend of yours comes up to you and gives you a $20 gift card to Kmart, right? You're like, what? That was so nice of you. And another friend sees this and thinks, that's a good idea. They're a good friend. I like you. And they go out and they get you a $10 gift card to Starbucks and they give it to you. Right? Now, why did I choose different values? Here's the truth. We don't know if Cain's gift was more valued than Abel's. It doesn't say that in the text. 
Cain could have brought a truckload, a truckload of this stuff. And for some reason, the value didn't figure into it. So we're making them off values on purpose. And then your friends do what no friends should ever do. But we all do this, right? They look at you and say, which of these gift cards do you like the best? Right? You know it's a trap. You know it's a trap. If you've, if you've uh, maybe you did this as a kid yourself. If you've had kids, if you've been around kids, they pull this kind of thing all the time. Right? They'll bring you a scrawled drawing that they want you to put on the refrigerator. And as soon as one does, the other one does. And then they'll say to you, which one of these do you like best? Oh, yeah, see, this happens. Happens all the time. And what are you supposed to say? What do you say every time? They're so different from each other. I like them both. Right? Isn't that what you say? Don't you say, oh, that is so awesome, but it's just different than the other one, and so I like them in different ways. Thank you so much. What you don't say, <laughs> at least uh, I've never seen it, but maybe, maybe um, we can find out how you would feel about this. What you don't often hear is somebody looking at somebody and saying, well, I know it's a $20 gift card, but it's the Kmart, and all the Kmarts around here have closed, and if I'm going to go to this Kmart, it's an over an hour away. Not really a good gift on your part. I really like the car from Starbucks. You know I go there. I like it there, so this is a much better gift. How would you feel if you heard a friend say that? Or if you witnessed a parent, look at the two kids who just did that and say, Johnny, your sister is obviously far better than you are. That's horrible. I would never put that on the refrigerator. Take that to the trash. Let's put this one up instead. Oh, right. It's uncomfortable. How would you feel about that? First thoughts? That person is rude. That person is ungrateful. That person has a problem. I bet you, you might even be a little miffed, a little angry, if you saw something like that happen. You know what's weird? This, this comparison thing, which is really what's at the heart of what we think is unfair here, this comparison thing happens with people all the time. Um, we, we have a lot of different kids. We love them differently. They don't, need, they don't have the same love languages. You have to respond differently to them. But if you were to ask Tracy and I, do you love your kids, we would say we love them all. It's, it's different, but we love them all in different ways. If you ask our kids, if you hear them tell the story, every one of them is at the pile of the heap, like at the bottom of the heap, and everybody else has been loved more than they are. And you're like, how did you arrive at this sort of thing? And they have all of these things that they've interpreted along the way that they've used to compare, and they've concluded, you obviously like them better. Every one of them, every one of them, it comes out of their mouths. We try not to roll our eyes as we hear these discussions at family holidays, right? As they talk about who's the favorite and who's not. It's crazy to us 
But this comparison thing is dangerous. And we know it because we'll get online and we'll do it too. We'll compare ourselves on Facebook with somebody else. And the problem with comparison is that it leads to false conclusions. And so we know that. And that's why we're uncomfortable with it. It's why we get miffed and angry and think somebody's rude who would act that way. And the question is, is that what God just did? Did he look at Cain and Abel, hold their two gifts up next to each other, and say, when I look at this one and I want to look at this one, this one's better than this one, so I reject yours. Go do better. Is that what happens? Well, here's the news. That is not what happens. And we're given some insight. Um, wow, I'm way ahead. We're given some insight into verse 6. It actually gives us some clues as to what actually happens here. Because it seems like that's what God just did, but that's the casual reading. God's about to give us some insight into what actually happened. Verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Why are these questions important? (laughs) I'll tell you why. Because if Cain had just been compared to his brother and rejected, wouldn't you expect him to be angry? Wouldn't you expect him to be downcast? Whatever God did, whatever the response God had about Cain's gift, he did not think Cain's reaction made sense. Your reaction to be angry, your reaction to be downcast doesn't make sense, Cain. You must not understand what's going on here. So let me read verse 7. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this out of a literal translation. The NIV, which we normally read out of, I think um, has misplaced so many things, it's not even worth reading it so far off at this point. So let me read you what it says literally in the Hebrew. If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? The NIV has interpreted that to say, if you do right, won't God accept you? Except I can't find anywhere in the text where Cain has to worry about whether he is loved and accepted by God. That's a staple. I love you, Cain. I accept you, Cain. I don't like your gift. If this is about whether we have to do certain things to be accepted by God, if that's true about Cain's story, Cain's in trouble, and so are you, and so am I. If we have to do things to get to a place where we earn God's love, we're all going to be in a lot of trouble. But that's not what it says here. It says, if you do well, Another way of interpreting this is if you did good. If you would just do good, Cain, your countenance could be lifted up. Your spirit could be elevated. Your face could be picked up off the ground. You wouldn't be dragging yourself around being down and sad about this. If you could just do well, if you could just do good. This is not a problem about Cain being loved. He's loved. This is a different problem. And here... 
Here we find it. It's a choice. And it gets elevated by the second part of verse 7. Cain, you could lift your face up, or it says this. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And it's desirous for you, but you must master it. It's a really powerful picture there. Of this thing that's crouching to consume you, waiting. It's waiting for you to make choices and decisions. Interesting. It doesn't seem like Cain's made a fatal one yet. Right? Cain, whatever you did, all you have to do to recover from this is to do well, to do good. That's all, that's all I'm currently looking for. That's all I want to see from you. And next week, we're going to spend a lot of time in verse 7. Because that picture that's there, there's a lot for us to digest. But here's why I wanted you to, to um, see that, to understand what was going on here. See, the problem um, that gets elevated here in the text is it that somehow what Cain did wasn't good enough. It's not that um, Cain did right or wrong. He didn't do good. Which maybe we step back and we start looking at the two gifts with a different light. Instead of comparing Abel's gift to Cain's gift, maybe we should compare Abel's gift against good and Cain's gift against good. And if we can find where maybe Cain's gift isn't good, maybe that can give us some insight as to what's really going on here. So let's go back. Let's go back and look at what the scripture said about Cain's gift. What did it say? It was some fruit. In fact, the Hebrew doesn't even throw that in. It just says fruit. It wasn't worth describing at all. There was nothing about it that was um, worth celebrating or giving adjectives to. You gave fruit. But when he starts talking about Abel's gift, the way it's described is different. He says it comes from the first of your flock, and it's, it's the choices. It's got the fat in it. Why is this important? Because although we don't know the value of the gifts, we're just told about the quality of the gifts. In Abel's case, the firstborn would have been the first chance he would have had to profit off of his flocks. And instead of profiting off of that, he takes and he sacrifices it. And it just wasn't any lamb. It just wasn't some scraggly lamb. This thing had fat on it. It was healthy. It was good. And so he gave one of his quality animals for the sacrifice, but not Cain. Cain, it appears, gave something that was fruit. He had it lying around. It was no big deal. It, it didn't cost him much to do that. It's not, it wasn't a quality kind of gift. It was just... It was just a gift. Um, let's go back to our examples and see if this helps any at all. So the $20 gift card from Kmart, your friend found that 
um, when they decided to clean out the desk that has been gross for over, you know, a year now, and as they were cleaning out the junk, they found this Kmart gift card in the back of the drawer, and they thought, it is so far away, I'm never going to use this card, I might as well just throw it away. Wait, I could throw it in the trash, or I could give it to my friend. I'll give it to my friend, right? I'll just do that. Or what happens in this picture if Johnny and his sister bring pictures to mom, but Johnny's capable of doing more? Can we put up the picture with the refrigerator? Then the next one. The next, oh, wrong one. Put up the one with the picture on the side. Boom, that's the one. What if he's capable of doing that all day long? And instead, he found this other thing, this purple thing underneath his bed. And he scribbled a little bit on it and brought it to you and said, here, this is good. I want some praise. And the mom says, look, I'm not going to put this on the refrigerator because I know you can do better than this. So I want you to go back and I want you to produce something that's up to your skills And when you do that, I'll put that on there. I'll be happy to do that. But I don't want to put something on it that you haven't given your best effort on. Now listen, if you heard a mom say that to their kid, would you think that's rude? Would you think that's ungrateful? Or would you think, oh, that's pretty cool. You're calling that kid up to the potential that they had. See, what's happening here in the text is that Cain was expressing his heart in his gift. And his heart was, I just want to get by. I don't, I don't really feel like I'm giving this as a way to express genuine love for you. It's just a gift. There was no, there was no good in his heart being expressed towards God. And God knew he was made for more than that. So God says, I, I'm not going to accept this gift from you. I created you. I know what your potential is. And you're living way below this right now. And what's Cain's response? He's angry. God, I want you to accept whatever I give to you, however I give it to you. It doesn't matter what my motives are. It doesn't matter if I'm filled with goodness at all. And what does he do? He compares himself to his brother. And his comparison leads to a false conclusion that if his brother were eliminated, God would be fine with whatever he gave. But he missed. He missed that his heart was not in his gift at all. Cain was doing something half-hearted and God wanted to reward a wholehearted kind of life. He knew his potential and was calling him up to that. You want to know the truth? God feels the same way about you. He he thinks you're loaded with potential. Potential 
because he's the one who created you. He knows the gifts he gave you. He knows, he knows all about the stories and experiences that you've collected. He gets the full picture of who you are. And you're placed in the place in your world on purpose. And he's excited about that. Oh my word, you have the chance to do something unique, something good. And you can miss out on all of it by being half-hearted. By giving God the scraps of your life. By giving God the scraps of your attention. See, a wholehearted life cares about everything that will come out of your mouth at work, at home, on the sports team. It cares about the character that you put on display. It cares about the thoughts that you have. It cares about this whole thing. Why? Because I have a chance to partner with God in a way to represent him in this world as a person who's been created in his image, and I have this opportunity. I can't do it without God, but I'm partnered with God, and we're going to go do this together. And so out of a grateful heart, I live with a full heart. And When you live that way, it impacts the people around you. And when you live with a half heart, God will look at the seemingly sacrifices that you make and say, I reject that. It's not enough. I know your potential. And I want you to live up to who you were called to be. See, we, we just read a story that started with the idea that maybe God was unfair in the initial reading of it. And, and what it ended up being about was a God who looked at somebody he loved and said, you got to have more in your life than this half-hearted way of doing it, Cain. There's got to be more to this. If you would just do good, if you would just do good, you could return to a place of favor with me. I love you, but I can't favor half-hearted living. And my friends, it is true about you and I. And if there's a desire in your life to find a way to adjust your course toward Christ, to be somebody who connects with him in a meaningful way, you will only do that with your full heart. You'll only do that when you let the Holy Spirit meet you over the course of this next week and say, listen, this one area of your life that you've been withholding from me, it's causing you to be half-hearted. I want it all. I, I want you to step towards me. I want you to go with me on this journey. But when you withhold, when you compare, when you play these games, you miss out on who I created you to be. And it's less of a story than what you were meant for. This is a loving God who is calling somebody up to their potential. And we're looking at a man who decides that he sets his own potential, not God. Kills his brother instead. And we're going to look at... Um, the words of God next, next week where he talks about, man, this is the choice you have to make. 
Do you understand what's crouching at your door? And I want you to understand the same thing. But I hope as you go this week, you'll give God a shot of your heart. You'll let the Holy Spirit speak to you, examine you, and say, is there anything half-hearted going on between me and God right now? Because if it is, I'm living less than what God had in mind. And it's a miss. Can I just pray with you real quick? God, I love the fact that you are comfortable with hard questions. You're comfortable with us looking at a text and saying, man, is this about God? Doing something that we would never do. Unfairly picking one brother over another. You're comfortable with that because as we dive into it, as we think about it, as we wrestle with that, this thing that seems to be impossible that this could be about, we find a loving God who's calling Cain up. His simple solution was to do well, to do good. He could have re- recovered quickly. There was no need for his anger. There was no need for his downcast sense about it. But Cain wanted to stay living with half a heart. So he became angry. God, I ask that you would examine our hearts this week. Help us to be honest with you about if there's anything going on that's just half-hearted, half-hearted devotion, half-hearted time with you, half-hearted concerned about your values. Ask that you would call us up, up to the potential that when you created us be representatives of you in this world and that we would be partners with you to do good that we would step up and be the very people we were meant to be God I ask that you use your spirit to reveal hearts to expose us to thoughts that we have that need to go away to challenge us to step up to the people you created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.